Welcome to the Becoming Your Best podcast. We're here to provide you and your team with the resources, tools, and content to achieve your greatest potential. For those interested in additional resources or services, such as the weekly planners, online planners for Chrome or Outlook, keynotes, live training, coaching, or certification, you can visit our website at becomingyourbest.com. Now, when you listen to an episode that resonates with you, we invite you to share it with your family, friends, and team members so that they can experience the same type of motivation and results in their lives. Also, if you haven't already subscribed, please hit the subscribe button. It works on Apple, Stitcher, Google, or whatever platform you're using so that you can get a new podcast reminder each week. Now sit back, let's get started, and we hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to all of our Becoming Your Best podcast listeners, wherever you may be in the world today. This is your host, Steve Schallenberger, and we have a very talented, experienced guest with us today, and so looking forward to having him as one of our guests. He previously served as co-founder and COO of Grubhub, and after graduating from college in 2000 with a pile of degrees and an equally impressive pile of debt, (laughs) he followed along the dot-com bandwagon by joining Chicago-based Apartments.com. Welcome, Mike Evans. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, before we get started, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about Mike. In 2004, Mike wrote version one of Grubhub.com because he was frustrated with the futility of searching for delivery restaurants and really grumbling through inaccurate orders. And after refining the website, he jumped ship at apartment.com and went full-time to pursue making Grubhub a real business. Mike attended the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, go MIT. Yes, I'm a nerd, as it turns out. Uh, Okay, well, I attended (laughs) right across the river there and at the other school. And Harvard was cool, but uh, we loved MIT and our wonderful associates there. And he earned an undergraduate and master's degree in electrical engineering and and computer science. Since leaving Grubhub, he founded Fixer.com, an on-demand, handy person service focused on social impact. He lives in Chicago with his wife, daughter, dog, and bike. You like biking. I do. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the book, Hangry, it follows my journey from starting this thing, Grubhub, in my apartment and then running it all the way through the IPO. And then I punted it all and rode off into the sunset. I rode my bicycle from Virginia to Oregon and sort of shares the experience of that. And sort of as a holistic whole, not as a, I stopped one thing and started the next. But, you know, sometimes we get these sort of canned, sanitized stories about what it's like to create a business. And then you finish and Everybody lives happily ever after, but actually life goes on as it turns out. And so sort of explores some of what to do with that level of success once you've reached it. Yeah, it's a great metaphor. I love it. And I'm glad that you shared it. And Let's start, Mike, with your background. Tell us about your background, including any turning points in your life that, that's had a significant impact on you and what you're doing today. The whole experience of creating GrowHub, obviously, was pretty transformative. I talk a lot in the book about the importance of having a personal definition of success and about 
how I got through this IPO and a lot of people are like, that's great. You had an IPO, you're successful or, or you made some money doing that. You're successful. But I didn't think those were the reasons I was successful. I thought I was successful because I transformed an industry and, and helped independent restaurants be more likely to succeed with us than without us. That was a transformative experience going from, boy, I just need, I can't stand having a job and having a boss and I need to pay off this school debt to sort of thinking about bigger issues, like how making it possible for restaurants to stay in business, changing the way the United, you know, Americans, especially how they interact with food. And so one of the ideas in the book is to think about that stuff early and often, like, where are you headed? What are you trying to accomplish? Okay. All right. Good. Well, let's talk about hangry. What is it? Why did you write it? And what's in it? The book, it follows my experience starting this idea, this, I might, I want a pizza. And so maybe I should make a website that makes it easy to get a pizza to 12 years later, having 4,500 employees and a multi-billion dollar business. And as it turns out, it changes a person as you go through it. And so I wanted to share that experience. You know, so many of the startup stories, these sort of unrealistic expectations around, I wrote up a business plan. I put it in a PowerPoint presentation. People gave me millions of dollars and now I'm wealthy and I changed the world. That's not how it goes. It's a lot less a straight line from A to B and a lot more of a, an experimental and evolving process, both personally as a company. So I wanted to share that because I think it can be motivating to understand that it doesn't just, it's not just a lotto ticket. It's, there's an amount of like applying oneself and learning and adapting and innovating and sort of doing that in an iterative way that anyone can do, provided the right amount of like drive and sort of this weird mix of arrogance and humility. And so that's why I wrote the book. I wrote the book to share that experience with people in the hopes that somebody else might try it too. Thanks for that great background on it. And one of the reasons, Mike, I was we were so excited to have you on the Becoming Your Best show is because these are lessons, the experiences that you've had and what you talk about, what you put in the book are things that will help individuals, whether they're entrepreneurs, whether they have an idea, or whether they're within a company helping grow that company. And then you're going to have a lot of younger people that are thinking about ideas that they have, and how do I develop these? So I think your message is going to resonate with a lot of people. Glad that you're able to join us. So what messages do you hope readers will take away after reading the book? The first one, which is really sort of an overarching one, it, well, first of all, I hope they find it funny. It's an entertaining book, I think, anyway. I wrote it to be entertaining. But the theme, one of the, probably the main theme in the book is this idea that really asking yourself, who, who defines success for you? Is it you or is it somebody else? Because there's a long line of people down the street who will define success for you. And if you don't do it for yourself, it's elusive. There are questions that derive from this definition of success, like how do you have work-life balance? Well, how do you know the answer to that question if you don't know what trade-offs you're making between relationships or career or leisure, whatever? And so there's a lot in that book about the experimental approach I took, and I didn't get it all the way all right all the time, about how to approach that question, how to approach success in a, in a personal and explicit way. Also, there's something about the journey, both the journey for the company and the bike trip, where I didn't create an overnight success. I spent 12 and a half years doing it. And and it was just one day at a time. And the bike trip that I took, I didn't take a 4,500 mile bike ride. I took 90, 50 mile bike rides. And that's easier. It's easier to split it up. 
there's something about this idea of grit versus quit. When, when do you have tenacity to stick something through? When do you decide something's not worth the effort anymore and move on to something else? That really is central to the struggle in the book. Yeah, those are great questions. Those are some questions that uh, face a lot of people. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I mean, everyone, right? It's the nature of being human to want to have fulfillment and, and satisfaction in the work that we do. Now, in uh, Hangry, you discuss the difference between quitting and giving up. What's the difference and why does it matter? At its most superficial, giving up is what you do at like 9 p.m. when you're tired. Quitting is something you do at like 9 a.m. when you're making like objective, thoughtful decisions. This came out of the bike trip, but actually was sort of retroactively apply- applicable for the rest of the Grubhub experience, which was after a long day of, of cycling, as I was doing this crazy cross-country bike ride, at the end of the day, there were a couple times I'd lay down in my tent and I'm like, I'm getting on a plane tomorrow. I am done with this. This sucks. Then I'd wake up in the morning. I'd be like, you know what? I can go ride for an hour. I can, I can get an hour in under my belt. And then that became the whole day. And sort of taking it one day at a time, really, I was able to do something pretty impressive. But that was true in the business as well. This idea that like that giving up is something you do because you run out of steam, but quitting is something when you're leaving something and headed towards something else. It's the nature of innovation. It's the nature of creating something from nothing that you have to experiment. And if you're going to experiment with things, you have to give yourself freedom and the right to quit things that aren't working. We talk about quitting with such a stigma. And, and, I, and I'm not saying it's okay to not put the effort in. What I'm saying is it's important that we don't continue putting effort towards the things that aren't getting us closer to our goals. And that was a the theme throughout Grubhub and certainly on the bike trip as well. So, Mike, how do you know when you're at that point? You don't. <laughs> you don't. That's the hard part. One of the things you can do is you can surround yourself with people who don't blow smoke, who aren't trying to flatter you, who will tell you, point out your blind spots to you and who you trust. You can read, you can try and take an attitude of continuing to learn. You know, it's it's the paradox of being doing a startup that you start out from this place of arrogance where you say the world is broken in a way that only I can fix. And so I'm going to do it. That takes a lot of arrogance to say that. But it also takes humility to experiment along the way and actually be honest with yourself when you're doing things that aren't working. That's a lifeline process, discerning between the things that you should keep working on and the things that you should move on from is there are no simple answers there. Yeah, well, I agree. I guess there's finally a point where you look at things and you use your best judgment and you bounce it off of others. And ultimately, you just call it and trust yourself, huh? Yeah. And I think being action oriented helps. It might turn out to be the case that most decisions don't really matter. But what actually mattered was decisiveness and action. And that is the case in some in some situations where literally you would have been happy or the business would have worked with either decision. But what was important is you you made the decision and you committed and you went for it. And so I, I think there's a I, this idea of being action oriented and, and as opposed to passive within the book. And with, that's, that's sort of the, one of the ideas I'm trying to promote. Yeah, I love the sound of music. There are times when a, a door closes, but a window opens somewhere else. I mean, you know, whatever you've been doing, sometimes you just feel a natural thing that this is it. And all of a sudden you see another opportunity open that is a huge blessing in your life. But you couldn't have had it really without having the previous experience sometimes. There's a story in the book, a very specific story about the founding of Grubhub, where as it was going from 
just a delivery guide where we where I would charge restaurants for just exposure on the website to an ordering platform. The first system I designed was, and wrote was this phone-based ordering system where people would actually call one of our special numbers that would forward onto the restaurant and we would track orders that way and we would charge the restaurants for the orders they were getting. And that whole system was terrible compared to online ordering. Like it really was not a good system. But I don't know that I could have built the online ordering system without building the wrong system first. And I learned this idea from Dr. Bose, who started Bose Speakers in my classes at MIT. You know, he said, the way to make a good speaker is to make a bad speaker and then figure out what's wrong with it and then make it better. Like you, you don't start at perfection. You start with the best you can. Oh, that's a great insight. Well, let's talk about mentors. You've talked about mentors and how important they are. How do you find a good mentor? And then how do you cultivate that relationship so it can be of great value in your life, both for you and the mentor? There's this concept that when you're you're interviewing an employee or you're doing a press interview or whatever, you don't ask yes or no questions. Then the person you're talking to can just say yes or no. The same thing is true with mentors. Like once you find one, don't make it easy for them to say no to you. You really have to be very persistent. If it's a mentor that's worth engaging with, they are definitely busy. Like there's no good mentors who just have lots of free time. Uh, And so you have to be persistent and it has to be clear to them what value that they're going to get. And for most people who are in a position to share their knowledge or their expertise, what they really don't want is they don't want their time to be wasted. And so you have to show them that you have the the tenacity and grit to stick with trying to become a success, whatever that means. And so I think that that the finding the mentors is actually the easy part. Convincing them to mentor you is the hard part. And I think it just takes tenacity. It takes takes a little bit of just understanding what it is that that person wants out of life and trying to to share that you like if that's building a legacy that that they're it's worth investing their time in you. Okay, yeah, that last comment's really important. It's worth it to them to invest their time with you because there are a lot of really wonderful people that have a lot of experience, men and women, uh, who want to help. But you need to kind of present a picture of here of of, uh, why it will be fun for them, you know, why it works for them and and how does it fulfill their needs. Sometimes that might be that you, you point out the vision of the company. Maybe you provide some compensation that also makes it worth their time, but it can vary a little bit. You have to kind of put together this vision, this purpose that makes it fun for both of you. And fulfilling. Beyond just fun, it has to be fulfilling for both parties as well. Yeah, indeed. Okay, that's a good comment. Well, you brought up this great word of fulfillment. So you've done a lot of stuff. So what are some ways in which we can find fulfillment at work? And maybe you've seen both sides of it. I have. And I talk about this in the book a little bit. The first thing is that you have to understand what your own personal mission is, what your own personal definition of success is. And then you have to understand where you work, what what that company's mission is. And you have to understand, one has to understand the difference and the similarities between my personal mission and my work's mission. And I also have to understand the values that that company has and whether or not they align with my own values. And then there's this other third piece, which is actually, it's easy to skip over, which is are they actually doing what they say? Is the company doing what they say they're doing? And am I doing what I'm saying, what I say I want to be doing? And so if all of those things line up, if your purpose and the company's purpose lines up, that's fundamental for being able to find satisfaction and excitement and joy and fulfillment at work. 
There's other things as well that are necessary. Like your direct manager has to be a good manager. It's very hard to work for a great company with a bad manager. Like that's terrible. It's just as bad as working for a bad company with a good manager. You need both. You need the people that you have to rely on at work are, are need, need to be people that you really can rely on and that invest in you and you invest in them. You need to have a boss that advocates for you and you need to work at a company where the, the va- their values are aligned. If you get all of those things, it's magical. I have a seven-year-old daughter and for her, work and play and learning are all the exact same thing. There's no distinction between those different things. And I think that that's probably true for adults, but we forget it at some point along the way. That's great. And that word magical is wonderful because when you have leaders and employees in your company that you really help develop or they have been able to develop on their own their vision so they really know what resonates with them. And then when that aligns with the company, that's magical. That's where people really unleash and this wonderful potential comes out and have long-term employees that make a difference. The same thing is true with an entrepreneur as they get going. And it goes the opposite way of finding people that align like that. So I love your description of that, Mike. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. Oh, I had two questions I wanted to do before we wrap up today. One is, what have you found the best way to find balance, this harmony uh, between the various roles of your life so you don't go nuts? I have not succeeded with this. (laughs) I think that uh, work-life balance is elusive at best. The best I've been able to come to approaching it is being honest with myself and explicit about what I want to get out of different sort of spheres of my life and then understanding when there's a trade-off between the two. Because I think that a lot of people go into this idea of work-life balance with the assumption that you can maximize all things, that that I can have a perfect work experience, perfect life experience, perfect relationship experience, and they never sort of conflict with each other, which is just silly. That's not the way it works. You have to make trade-offs. You have to make trade-offs with your time. You have to make trade-offs with your resources, with your energy. And so being explicit about those trade-offs, I think probably leads to a good set of outcomes, but it's not a set of outcomes that's not without consequences. There's, there's always, there's always a consequences to making those kinds of trade-offs. And so I think the best you can do is be explicit and and honest about them as opposed to sort of just hoping that it's all all going to work. Yeah, I love that answer. You you may know that that you know of course we our first book out 10 years ago was uh, becoming your best the 12 principles to highly successful leaders. And we've been blessed with that. It's been a national bestseller where we just released our fourth book called Do What Matters Most. And to your point, you're you're really spot on because it starts with a person and their vision, knowing what's important to them in the first place, and then being able to have a filter to make those tough decisions like you just talked about on a consistent basis. And so uh, I think you're right. And once you can put in front of you your key roles, now you have a basis for making those decisions. And Yeah, it's hard to do every single one of them. So you have to make the choices. Yeah, but I think that that ultimately leads towards sort of a balanced life, but not necessarily one without without challenges. And actually being hard and being fun can be the same thing. Fun things are not always easy. Indeed. Okay, so here are our final two questions for today. It's been fun having you on. Thanks. Compliments to all the things you've been doing. Great job. Thank you. You bet. 
What is maybe one of the biggest messages out of Hangry? If you look around and you see that something's broken in the world and that nobody else seems to think it's broken, but you know it is and you think you can fix it, do it. All of the business books, all of the mentorship, all of the learning, everything else that you can do is 49% of success. 51% is starting, just starting with the idea. I mean, that's one of the big messages. It is the big message of the book is that just start. That's it. Start. Whatever it is, the thing that you want to do, start it. Okay. That's great. I love it. And that's, a, that's inspiring. That's encouraging. Uh, regardless of whether you're within a large company or whether you're leading a small group, get going with it. Look for the opportunities and get out and get into the arena, right? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Okay. Now, before we wrap up, any final tips you'd like to leave with our listeners? Yeah. I mean, I think this idea of being intentional and explicit and thinking big in terms of your goals, I found that that's been the best way to live. The The only times in my life where I think I've had anything sort of any kind of regrets is when I didn't think big enough or didn't didn't sort of plan big enough when I when I was sort of tunnel visioned in what I was trying to accomplish. And so I just encourage people to think big in terms of what it is they're trying, the change they want to see in the world. Thanks for your message today, Mike. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Okay, now before we wrap up, tell people how they can find out about you. Yeah, the easiest way is, well, you can get the book Hangry on Audible or any of the audio services or also uh, on Amazon. But if you want to find out more about me and what I'm doing now, uh, I'm at MikeEvans.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. And And uh, thanks for being part of the show. And we wish you the very best as you're lifting lives and building and inspiring people. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. And to all of our listeners, wherever you might be, we're so grateful that you tune in to the Becoming Your Best podcast show. You make such a difference and you are such an inspiration. We wish you the best today and always. This is Steve Schallenberger, your host, signing off. Thank you for listening to the Becoming Your Best podcast. If there was something in this podcast that you felt would be helpful for a family member, a friend, or even a coworker, we invite you to share this podcast with them now while you're thinking about it. Also, remember to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Now, for additional resources and tools, such as how to join our monthly peak performance coaching program, or how to get certified as a trainer or coach, or schedule a workshop or keynote, you can visit our website at becomingyourbest.com. We're here to provide you and your team with the resources, tools, and content to achieve your greatest potential. So thank you for listening and have a wonderful day and a great week.